Tay being time Thekov. Tay having Xerthos. Is he bigger free up to getting? Uh, we will get further using the common tongue. Any captain with some miles on him, even of a Dresh captain with no pigeon. Are you new? I should offer my congratulations. The thing is, you got no authority here. Whereas the burn was the best thing that ever happened to me. Any success you achieve here will be short-lived because we will not permit your tyranny to stand. But here it is, standing. And you, and what's left of your ship, aren't enough to do anything, really. We're all adrift together. All that matters now is dilithium. Make it through the night. You'll understand that. So, shall we? I have made my position clear. I will not take you to our ship. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me walking the glaciers in Iceland are Bill Woywad, Adam Bowen, Emily Bowen Marler. Strange New Takes is a Star Trek theme pod that's supposed to be covering Strange New Worlds, but with so much new Trek already, we're jumping in a little early. Today, we're super excited to bring you our Strange New Takes for Discovery Season 3, Episode 2 Far From Home. Before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.com slash Strange New Takes because Facebook is different. Also, make sure to tell your friends to listen to us. We love getting strange new listeners from all over the world. And your recommendations is what helps us get there. And speaking of recommendations, I think this is a perfect opportunity for you to give us a five-star ratings on iTunes uh, so that we can then read the thing that you say on a future thing. And Notch has, promo has promised that he will not make fun of you uh, if you post about us on iTunes, because that is the way those five-star ratings are how we show up on podcast discovery lists so that randos there out on the internet uh, can just search Star Trek podcast and maybe show up with us so yeah let's do it and just a heads up this podcast and literally all of our podcasts include spoilers for this episode and most likely all other episodes of star trek and or fandom because you know we love star trek and we'll just talk about it all if you haven't had a chance to watch far from home and don't want to be spoiled feel free to hold off on this episode until you get the chance to watch it and if you don't care you can go ahead and listen and we'll spoil it all and this week, we're going to talk about Discovery Season 3, Episode 2, That Hope Is You, Part 2. In this episode, Book and Burnham spend an entire hour talking to each other with Burnham saying things like, What are the Borg? What was Wolf 359? Who's Picard? What? That sounds crazy, man. Oh, Temporal Cold War. Who wrote this shit? Um, and, and, and Book explains very slowly, and that, that's what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, another perfect one. <laughs> right. I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that. It's like my dinner with Andre, but Star Trek. <laughs> so I think uh, it was a temporal incursion that just happened right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So the episode was Far From Home. It was written by Michelle Paradise. Again, great name. Jenny Lumet, Alex Kurtzman, 
directed by Alatunde Osunsanmi. The in universe date is 3189. And uh, the episode summary from Memory Alpha after USS Discovery crash lands on a strange planet, the crew find themselves racing against time to repair their ship. Meanwhile, Saru and Tilly embark on a perilous first contact mission in hopes of finding Burnham. All right, strange new takes. This new thing of having to do all of your activities outside means that I have hat hair most of the time, and it's really unfortunate. So I know all of you listening to this podcast can't see, but everyone who is on the podcast with me can see that I am wearing a hat. Because that, is a, that is a sweet raver hat. Like hey. they wore those to raves. So. I had to keep my head warm. We had church outside go. in the 43 degree weather. So Oof. <laughs> wow. yeah. we, we, we needed some hats on our heads. Um, and my strange new take with this episode is I will be glad when the last five minutes isn't necessary to redeem an episode for me. Mm. Mm. Oh. That's not to say I didn't enjoy this episode, but I find myself feeling a certain way. And then the last five minutes usually kind of settles that, you know, and then I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of a pattern they're setting so, up here. Like they, they really are. So, <laughs> Okay, and my strange new take is that Stargate SG-1 is a vastly, vastly, vastly underrated science fiction show. Regarding Star Trek, I, I uh, <laughs> after watching this episode, I just love Saru. I find him totally enduring. I'm a big Saru supporter. <clears throat> I love the way he yeah. walks. It's yeah, so yeah, cool. I've I've loved that the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just awesome. Yes, yeah, so awesome. Can I can I go on a little bit of an off topic or tangent on that? And this was the week where I was like, we got to stay to one hour in my head, and I like, keep everyone moving. No, not so much. Here I go. Uh, <laughs> Do you realize well, I, immediately? <laughs> one one of my favorite things that happened in college was my Romanian friend Mihai came back his sophomore year, my junior year of college, and was like. Hey, Notch, everybody in Romania is dancing like this now. And essentially, he put on this like awesome track, Mandy by Buka, and Mandy and Bukashade. It's, it's the track of Body Language. Great track. But then he just like held his arms out. So his elbows were kind of like in line with this between his chest and his shoulders. And he just swished his hands back and forth, kind of like how Saru walks. And he was like, This is how people in Romania are dancing now. And, we, and for a little while, our entire lounge was just filled with guys doing that move without the music and it was just hilarious and great uh anyway that's what saru's walking always reminds me of so but my strange new take is that shooting sporting clays with shotguns is actually kind of fun and it's competitive i was not expecting to say that but i am and i'm thinking about now like getting into that next year it's also quite inexpensive who knew who knew but oh. uh also also i hope that we move past the whole, oh, look at that antiques thing. And this is like not the most important thing for me with this episode at all, okay? At all. But still, it's like when Tom Paris is like, I listen to classical music, the Backstreet Boys, hey! You know, it's like it's like that, but in reverse, where everyone's like, oh, you're holding antiques. And in, yeah, they're from the past. Like, can everyone just realize that now? And like, can they just wear badges that says, we don't know anything, our shit is old. 
And like, you know, <laughs> that's it. That's done. Yeah. Uh, so I'm back on my uh, typical path where I have not planned my uh, real world strange new takes. So we're going to come up with it live. Uh, and I believe what that is, is that uh, you should take the opportunity to uh, wear a shirt that just like says a thing about yourself that is maybe even custom to you and makes you happy. <laughs> right now I'm wearing a drawing of one of my chickens that my wife drew uh, and it just makes me happy every time I wear it. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Wait, and who can you explain? Is that your chicken's name? Or uh, it, My chicken's name is Dragonette. Uh, she is a very good girl. Uh, and uh, this is a... I'm wearing the uh, Connolly Bowen... Home for Wayward Hens. My uh, neighbor uh, had this shirt printed for me after a, she saw a drawing that Jenny made. So, yeah, it just nice. it delights me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for my strange new take on the episode, though, um, I don't know what's going on with those little particles that are dancing around on the ground uh, right in front of Saru's face. And uh, if it's not intended to be control, they should have edited it the out of the episode uh i think this this could potentially be a mistake on the level of them making in season two control was very obviously being set up to be like an origin story for the borg or something but the writers don't seem to have re like they didn't understand that that connection was happening even though they wrote into one of the episodes leland like says something along the lines of like resistance is useless uh and i just <laughs> And also, he just looks Gosh. like he's being assimilated like several times during the season. So yeah, I, I just he does. like if if that if the like I'm I'm scared of every bit of sand that we see that moves around at all uh, <laughs> now. And I just I I really hope that control is like dead or whatever because honestly, I, I wasn't super into that whole uh, 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 enemy or whatever and. I think it's okay if if control's dead, but they should stop having moving sand because seriously, guys. <laughs> I also thought it re it reminded me of the um, what do they call it? The matter, the um, programmable, oh, the matter. programmable matter. Yeah. It reminded me of that too. Hmm. Yeah. I uh, yeah, that was weird. Also, resistance is useless. Is that like knockoff catchphrases? You get a knockoff captain. Picard doll that goes <laughs> do it like that <laughs> um yeah you know. basically all right let's jump into talking about this episode as a whole beyond just our strange new takes story and writing number one point they crashed the ship adam <laughs> i i don't know so, so uh, yeah it, 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 it feels like a half measure here. Like, we, we didn't blow up the damn ship. We, we just kind of, we, we bruised it a little bit, but it kind of seemed fine at the end. So, uh, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if I can give them points for, for blowing up the damn ship. I, I just, I did like seeing lots of exploded planet things. That was cool. But, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like that I mean, section they went through that had, like, trees on it and exploded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> suck it, Enterprise. We can crash through a planet and we're fine. <laughs> uh, I, I also noticed it, on that note that uh, the everything in the 32nd century seems to be Iceland. So Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I spent a lot of the episode confused about, like, are is this the same place and they've, like, forgotten its name? Or, like, are we... 
centuries before or after or like what what's happening so it's, <laughs> it's very it's funny, well you know like all those science fiction shows from the 90s and early 2000s were filmed filmed in bc right like battlestar galactica right <laughs> yeah. so like every planet they go to just looks like british columbia yeah right and it, this is like that now just every planet looks like iceland yeah well yeah. you know i could imagine that it was the same planet that um that Burnham would have crashed onto. Right. I don't think it potentially was potentially just at a different time, though. but yeah. maybe that happened. Yeah, mean, maybe it exploded a year later. A year, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The, so what the, did what did you guys think about the floating rocks? Like, I, I can't I can't make up my mind if I think that was cool or if it was like a Star Wars so, thing that didn't really fit in the Star Trek universe. I the, my first thing when we saw the planet was that this is Zahia because. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the dilithium mining facility and there was you know when you look at this place there's a big hole right in that planet as as discoveries flying towards it so i was like uh they have they this was obviously a place that they were mining dilithium and that didn't really come up as much they did talk about the fact that the coordinates uh were the alien species that we see uh the the like mexican standoff people Mm. um that though that they are that they're miners but they didn't Mm -hmm. say that they were dilithium miners as far as i remember so no, they, di- they didn't. It, and and they, it seemed like there there was a mention of like the rubindium and a few other things. So they're like, there are things to mine right. there. But I, I mean, it's possible that it was a dilithium mining site and uh, maybe just all dilithium exploded except for some for some reason, some of it survived. Uh, I don't know if it's, they're all harvesting it from time travelers or what. But yeah. um, the... Uh, I, I hadn't thought about it being Sahia. That's a really interesting take. I mean, it, it could be anything, but um, it was, yeah. I mean, the second they stepped out of the ship, I was like, this is, we're, we're on the same planet, probably. And I'm sure, like, as a visual effects supervisor, mm. there's a lot of stuff they could have done to, like, not make it seem like that. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But yeah. at, it was at that point, just about, I was like, hmm, what kind of episode is this going to be? I do wonder. And then they had the dude show up, like, walking slowly away from them. It's like, oh, they're going to follow a random guy on this planet. We'll, we'll see what happens. And then they go, zoot. And then the saloon doors open. And it's and it's because of Saru's shoes, you know, because he's got the hooves. It's like mm. the horse walking into the saloon, right? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so it was at that point that I was like, this is a Western episode. Look at that. Seven Samurai. No. 100%. The American version of... <laughs> yeah, anyway. Right? And I feel like it's contractually written into every American TV show <laughs> that at some point they need a Seven Samurai knockoff episode. Um where our plucky band of heroes find an oppressed group of people and the bandit oppressing them and then chase off said bandit um, with the help of a mirror universe empress. That is, I believe that's yeah. how yeah. 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 Totally. Seven Samurai. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Giorgio showed up and right. killed everybody. Okay. Um, okay, so so what did, you, what did y'all think about the, the conception and the writing of this episode? Like, as a space western. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. In in retrospect, I've been trying to think about what the point was here, right? Because, um, you know, last episode we get introduced to Book, really, and that and and uh, he and Burnham have this little adventure. And on this one, similarly, right, we're just kind of putting the pieces into place for for what happens at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Saru and Tilly have a little adventure, right? Which may or may not, you know, at this point, it seems like it would be a plot non sequitur, but that may not be the case 
notch, as you kind of just suggested, as we go throughout the season, maybe this, this, uh, the colony and these people will show up again later. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I loved the character insights into Saru. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. that we'll talk some more about that later. And I think also uh, the dynamic between him and Giorgio was really interesting and I, th- I think served to further uh, the development of both of those characters. I think this is, this is a, what you've touched on, though. It touches on a larger theme, which is that I think the episode was there to do, which is that it, it establishes what I expect will be the theme of this season, which is going to be these Starfleet officers who, are, who believe in Starfleet, and a universe that is completely oppressed and feels like Starfleet's ideals are either sorely missing and they'll come back. We just we gotta hope and hope and hope, like Gal, or like Zarya, who's like, ah, oh, these losers are gone. Let's exploit them. So it's this core conflict between what Starfleet is supposed to be and bringing that back into this world that is obviously much far past those values. And I saw some people on Reddit, especially complaining about Giorgio's presence, that she, oh man, why is she here? And I think she's there to kind of be a mirror to Saru and to Starfleet saying, hey, we can exploit this to our advantage. Whereas Saru and Starfleet are a mirror to this world that they've ended up in as well. About like, y'all can be better than this. You don't have to treat everybody this way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I wasn't expecting this episode to do, just personally, and maybe Adam, Emily, y'all can tell me if, if this was something that y'all saw. I didn't expect the coordinates to be nice. I expected it to be like, oh no, Saru and Tilly walked into a trap and the coordinates are going to turn them over to like somebody, some big bad. And instead we got good guys um, out of the first people that they bump into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a it's a nice change in terms of uh, how the previous episode took us into just like immediate... Uh, uh, um, dystopia land or, or whatnot. Like to at least uh, these people are friendly. They're suspicious, uh, but it's because of like bad things have happened to them before. Um, so yeah, I I was uh, I was happy that it, it this isn't just kind of like a one note future where it's just people who are taking advantage of each other back and forth and like that's the best you can do. But. You know what's interesting, though? So we had, I can't remember who it was, if it was Tilly or if it was Saru, where they were, when they were following the person. And I think it was Tilly who said, but what if this person ends up being someone who's leading us into a trap or something yes, to that yeah. effect? I also, and I'm, I'm lining that up along with, I think it was Reese at the end of the episode said, there's an enemy ship above us. Why did they assume yeah. it was an enemy ship? Like, I found that interesting um, that that was his first instinct to say it was an enemy ship because he wouldn't have had the same experiences necessarily that Saru and Tilly had so he wouldn't know that they don't have the 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 knowledge that something is amiss with the federation right so why would he assume hmm. it was an enemy ship immediately well it it could be because um if when Saru and Giorgio came back that they they might have been like we got to go cuz like Giorgio says like there's a bigger person coming to like who sensed their presence that could be yeah and and you're afraid of us but i don't know you're yeah. that that's just like a ret- retcon explanation <laughs> i yeah i yeah. always go for the out of universe explanation which is just that they had to misdirect the audience so you'd be surprised when it was burnham and i and i i yeah. was kind of surprised i don't know if you guys were or not but in in hindsight it's like obvious that it would be burnham but i i was surprised when i did saw you, her did you by screen. the way 
did y'all notice that just just off screen, like just in the corner, and like one shot, if you freeze frame it right at the right moment, you can see that Burnham is actually sitting with Uber Admiral Riker on the USS Titan J, <laughs> who is here to save the day, as he is contractually obliged to do in every Star Trek episode now. Um, yeah, big, big twist having that not at the end of the season. Right? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, they got to throw oh, yeah. us off somehow. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bold move. Right, right, you know, right. So, but back to reality. In Star Trek. <laughs> Snap back to reality. Oh, <laughs> there goes gravity. But, what? So, um, what I, I thought, I well, I said to Travis, right, as soon as they said there's an enemy ship above us, I, well, and I think it was, I was hoping it wasn't going to be a really dim uh ending to the episode. But I said, I said, oh, I wonder if it's going to be, is it Osir? the one guy that was left yeah i'm like oh, maybe oh. it's gonna be him maybe he got the ship uh zara's oh. ship and was gonna rescue them and i said mm-hmm, or right. it's michael it could be michael you know and then it was michael so yeah but i i did have the thought that oh maybe he got command of zara's ship fast enough that he was able to come and help them get out of the ice because he knew that they were in trouble like that so yeah. right um now Adam, you last episode were were kind of talking about this thing about them kind of telling you a lot like there's the bad, it happened, it was bad, everything sucks now. Here, let me tell you more. Uh, was did you did you have that problem again this time? No, and I I, I think some of this might. Uh, so my hope at the uh, at the end of the previous episode was basically like okay, we've set us up. I understand it was really hard to like set up 930 years in the future. Maybe this is just, like, the one episode where we just have to, like, tell you everything, and then we can just have Star Trek after this. Uh, But uh, it depends on what the structure is, because uh, as we've, uh, as you might have noticed, uh, we had a part one uh, last last week, and we have not had a part part two, which uh, uh, leads me to think that there's either some sort of every other ordering that we're doing, or... Maybe there's uh, just something else happening with the sequence. Um, And so my hope is that now that we've explained the future enough, we can just, they can live in the future, be confused sometimes, and it's okay. We don't need to over-explain everything. It's possible that we're going to have an every other episode is a very boring, uh, uh, Burnham gets this future explained to her uh, while they search for Discovery and then the well-written episodes are with Discovery already being like okay, like, future's confusing we're just gonna deal with it, like, try to be, like, doing our job. Well, and this is this is why you know, Tilly wasn't like, Vidresh what's that? And Zeray being like oh, let me tell you 80 years ago there was the burn and then the Federation and you know Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was just very uh, they... Oh, and, and even uh, Giorgio like explicitly calls out like, "Oh, that's a, fu- a funny word that you're saying. I don't care." <laughs> right. So it, yeah, I, I liked the flow of this episode a lot better than the previous one. I don't know if this is. I, I couldn't decide if this was good to say now or if it's better to say a little later. I'm just gonna say it now because it's part of the story. I'm getting major uh, uh, parallels to Voyager in the way mm. they're kind of unfolding this. Like you know, it's it's this. Federation ship, Starfleet vessel that's going to try to hold on to their their core, their you know ethical core yeah. that Starfleet has in this world that doesn't necessarily play by the same rules, but they're going to try to be Starfleet through and through. You know that's what Janeway tries to keep them 
it keep yeah. in front of them the whole way. You know, like we're Starfleet. We we do things a certain way. We follow a certain code. But then you have, uh, you know, you're battling against these and encountering these other species that don't care about your code. And, you know, we do things the way we do things. Or you come up against another Starfleet vessel, like the Equinox, that is like, mm -hmm. yeah, we threw that out of the window because, you know, we had to survive here and you do what you got to do and Starfleet be damned. But anyway, but I was getting some some yeah. feelings about Voyager as I was watching this episode, especially. Well, and the stakes are even higher now because it's uh, it's the same situation as Voyager, but there isn't, like, there literally is not a Federation anymore. So there's more of the, like, why do we even care about our ideals? Like, I, at least mm -hmm. uh, the Voyager crew could point back, like, uh, the Federation is still doing good work out there. We are, like, the... Uh, the first contact that anyone will have with the Federation in 700 years, the, we, the Federation might expand far enough to talk to these people and mm -hmm. we need to make a good first, first impression. But now it's like, it doesn't exist. No one should care. Like, why do we even do this? Which I think is interesting. So we are, we're getting into some places that I want to go when we talk about the expansion of World of Trek next. Okay. But I, I do want to finish up answering Bill's question a little bit more based on something I read on Reddit, which was... There was a person named uh, Comp265 who said that essentially they felt that the characters were getting reintroduced in this episode. And you got to see like, the Bryce and the Nilsson and Nan and oh, there's Detmer and you know, Minus. Yeah, and Hazmat. Um, and so there were all these like <laughs> names getting thrown about and you got to see all the like minor characters. And it, it, it is kind of like essentially not exactly rebooting, but allowing a new audience to get in where so mm -hmm. a few years down the line and someone's like i'm new to star trek where should i start and you can be like i just forget those first two seasons happened with the you know 700 showrunners just start with season three and i i do think that that might be the part one of the reasons that this episode exists is again just mm -hmm. to give us um that that context uh as well but but let's let's move on and talk about the 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 expansion to the world of Trek from this episode. Number one, programmable matter is named in the episode. It can do a lot of stuff. You're taught to do it when you're very young, according to Carl. Um, personal transporters are are a thing again as well in the future. So that was fun. And then finally, what we were just talking about a second ago, the Vadresh from Calypso are name dropped. And they're named up in reference to the Federation explicitly now. Mm -hmm. So we know, because Zare uses the word when he sees the like their Starfleet crap. And so now we know we're at least adjacent to the world of Calypso, if not in it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, which and I, I guess does also make it confusing as to like exactly when it is. But um, I think uh, uh, Michael Shabon confirmed, this is probably on Instagram because I feel like people just seem to ask him questions there, but... Uh, that uh, Federation is a, or Vidresh is a uh, syncope, which is a word that I didn't know existed. Uh, but uh, it is a syncope of the word Federation, which if you think of it, you go, so Federation, and then you think of kind of muddying it up a little bit. So you maybe say Federation, and then you get to Vidresh. And that's like what that word kind of comes from. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it, I'm trying to remember with, with Calypso, were we setting it up at, I feel like the Feder that the Vidresh seemed like bad guys, yep. but I'm yeah. uh, so I'm wondering if if that is maybe one of the factions of the Federation. Maybe those two Starfleet ships we saw uh, evidence of last 
episode are those two ships that we should avoid or is Burnham in one of them right now? So one important thing that we just also heard in this episode about the 32nd century is Saru said, or, or somewhere in, early in the episode, they said that you're, you're flying in a Starfleet vessel. Mm-hmm. And then Saru uses that essentially, I can't remember the lines now, saying basically, yeah, that means we're Starfleet. And, he said, and the, the person he's talking to says, no, anybody could be flying that thing. It yes. doesn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we know that there are Starfleet and Federation vessels out there now being crewed by anybody. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and and the factional question is correct. Is there a good Federation, a bad Federation? Last week I referenced the Reddit comment where there might be different Starfleets all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. we don't really know anything about that, like where, where it could be leading us, you know? Um, there was one post I saw where, and they talked about it being a transmorgification instead of a syncope. And I was like, oh, I think I've heard transmorgification before. But um, but they, they said, oh, does this mean that the Federation's bad? And I was like, hell no, come on. No, I'm going to flip my table <laughs> over. Like, Please, can we just not? Can we just not? But anyway. Yeah, so the, the admirals I, took over. Yeah, I stopped reading that post at that point, And I was like, well. Let's I'm just going to go along for the ride and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. So so I will give a shout out to the fact that even when you're trying to be good, you can be perceived as bad by people on the other end, right? Like this is an international relations, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. common thing. This is why the f- prime, prime directive exists is because you might end up really screwing up somebody while trying to help them. And... I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know where it's gonna go myself. But like, I'm. I'm. I guess there could be a world in which the Vidrish are just so out of touch with the ideals of this universe. Like, if you've been brought up your whole life to to like kill or be killed, and mm-hmm. you know, take what you can because resources are scarce. And then someone comes and is like, tut, tut, tut. you should share everything, and you know, you should live a hard life by your values because you know this is what you got to do. That's the way you're going to see it from that side versus mm-hmm. if, you know, on the other side, you're like trying to put together these great values and this like, you know, principled life and a moral existence. It can be, it can be different, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, 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 I well, just, I, I, I think I, I can see like kind of where, where you're, you're coming from. Cause there's also, if we go, so, uh, if, say 800 years right before so right before the burn happens the federation either it's so it probably has more influence than it did in the 24th century uh whether it's because they've actually expanded and like the klingon empire is part of the federation now or whatever or if it's just that they have fast ships they can get anywhere uh they might take a lot of the blame for the situation everyone's in now because they mm. were kind of the de facto like in charge of everything right and it's their ships and mining facilities that exploded and perhaps blew up this planet or perhaps uh have just destroyed the entire network of connection for everybody so like yeah it's great that you had you guys have all these great ideals but look where it got us like we we didn't have this problem before you were here or whatnot but Emily, what do you think of Cal though? Because I feel like he put out a a hopeful version of of what Starfleet and the Federation were. I loved him, and I was very very sad about how his character, yeah, was you know tortured to death. But um, 
Yeah, that was I, brutal. I thought because I was watching, I'm like, oh, this is great. Like clearly, some somehow he has has had the values and that ethic, you know, that core of ethics that we talked about of the of Starfleet, mm-hmm. not necessarily the Federation. Um, I think he was talking more about Starfleet, it mm-hmm. seems. But um, like that was that was something that was inspiring to him and gave him hope, and he just knew that there still had to be a kernel of that somewhere and it was just a matter of time before they got to him so i thought that was awesome i really liked him and i was really sad at how things turned out yeah i thought we were just going to be collecting uh uh non-commissioned officers uh in this whole season of just like oh you also (laughs) believe in the federation here you go you can be you can work here on tactical or something or you you can you can scan for ships over here like thank you (laughs) that's gonna happen for sure yeah. yeah, I we mean, we're we're that. way down on crew count. We're we're eighty eight when the ship started out with one hundred and thirty six. I think at the beginning of the series, bumped up to over two hundred at the beginning of season two. Uh, so well, they're probably yeah, at least eighty seven because there was at least one crew pers- crew member yeah. that passed away in the last episode. So, but so so Bill, what what do you think of Carl? And and is there something to the fact that? Everybody in this world is waiting for Starfleet to show up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same as Emily. I thought I really liked him and was pissed when they killed him. Um, Yeah. That's, as you said at the beginning, Notch, it's something that's uh, important that's established in this episode, right? In this world that they're being thrown into. uh, There is a demand for a presence like the Federation and some romanticism about it and some support um, kind of interspersed amongst all of this chaos and all of the bandits and and bad guys running amok uh, that still exists. And speaking of bandits, we found out in this episode that the couriers are people who take charge of specific areas of space as kind of their domain, kind of warlords, if you will, or, or overlords, whatever you want to call it. Essentially, they remove the, or at least this courier, specific courier, removed the ability of these miners to fend for themselves and then started supplying them stuff. So do you think couriers are value neutral? Like, do you think that term is value neutral or do you think it's, oh, because isn't, isn't book a courier? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. So like we've been introduced to, Two or three different. Well, I guess was Cosmo a courier? I think. I think so. Yeah, because he they, yeah. They were, they, he said something like, "I'm your best connection in the." I think he said quadrant. I don't know if he literally. Right. Yeah, but I'm just thinking. So we've seen we've seen couriers that are like utterly despicable, mm-hmm. and then we've seen couriers that are doing what they're doing in an effort to save mm-hmm. lives. You know, like we and we don't know how how book interacts with. The people that he's delivering thing but you know we yeah, in the yeah. context of what we've seen him do and and this could be like the conception of the 32nd century like in a, in a universe where not everyone is able to travel there's more demand for an individual or group of individuals who can make those journeys and bring resources from places which opens the door to a lot of like um power issues coming up mm-hmm. um let, let's keep let's keep jumping around though uh, there was mention of parasitic ice on this planet, which got me thinking about other materials that they could introduce, such as symbiotic metal, unsociable air, collaborative fog, 
<laughs> Autonomous mud. I'm really excited about that one. And uh, cooperative <laughs> smog. You know, you need you, something goes wrong. Your Starfleet's in a battle. Cooperative smog rolls in. Suddenly you're in the Mutara Nebula. Oh no! So, Wait, uh, Notch. Are, we actually. Are we, you? We saw... Sorry, Adam. I. I <laughs> this is important. Notch, are you making fun of the idea of parasitic ice? And suggesting that it might be a little bit silly. <laughs> How could you do that? <laughs> I mean, it was a great plot device. Let's just put it that way. Um, the hull creaking sounds it created were fantastic. I enjoyed them. There was a different one every time. You know, you could just picture the writer's room. They're like, I don't know, fucking parasitic ice. Let's they just throw it up on the whiteboard. All right, fine. They move on to the next plot point. Like, yes. <laughs> Uh, other things that we picked up on in this episode that are new to the world of Trek. There was uh, the torture rifle, of course. Uh, yeah, that that yeah. seemed like a new thing for sure. There were definitely some grim moments in here. That was one of them. And then um, uh, the shoveling up of what's-his-face. Oh, Leland. 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 Yeah. That, was, that was pretty that was, grim. Yeah, that was but, very grim. Uh, um the Telluride exchange got mentioned, too. Yeah. So that mm -hmm. is a thing that now exists. So there are multiple exchanges, because last time we saw the Orion and Dorian uh, exchange. Yes. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's multiple, you know, Federation originator species mm -hmm. have taken over various sectors. So are we going to have the Vulcan exchange and the human exchange? Maybe. I don't know. I don't hmm. know. I would like to have some human exchange with all of you about that when it, it comes on screen. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, with that, I think we should take a break before we get into character discussions. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes. And it's located uh, 11 meters in. Should be an easy fix. Great. Let me know if you need any help. I need you to access the bone relay. Sorry, sunshine. Spine says no. So what? You're just gonna sit there? I'm offering moral support. And you're in great shape, right? I mean, for two hours, I've just heard about how pain is not in your vocabulary. Fine, I'm experiencing some discomfort. Yeah, you are impaled by a seven inch shard of duranium alloy and put in a coma. Helpless is a shitty feeling, but it is not forever, and it doesn't make you any less capable. Do us both a favor and just admit that you're not bringing your A-game. Let's get Nielsen up there. I'm sure she could do it. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're going to talk about character development, character discussions here. I think everybody who watches this episode is going to be sitting there thinking about just how far Saru's come. Wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Bill, you mentioned Saru in your uh, Strange New Take earlier. So can you can you give me a little bit more about uh, what specifically you got? Yeah, so I, I just uh, couldn't help but remember that episode probably from season one where he basically has to Google how to be a captain. Yes. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> yes. yes. And he's like, computer, tell me how to be a captain. And uh, he's really stepped into that role really naturally. And mm -hmm. I, th I think it's it's really natural and organic. I don't think he's like left behind 
um, the old Saru at all. Uh, he's still really, you know, gentle and kind and gracious, but is decisive. And I think actually he, he, you know, Saru would be an awesome captain to work for, right? You'd feel like he's approachable, like he's on your side. Um, so yeah. yeah, I just, I, I, I think the character development there is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, he's become very empathetic because it, like he's had the, the full experience of, emotions were like he he literally was entirely fear-based for the first uh most of the first two seasons and has like he's now in this sort of commanding role but he like he has not forgotten what it was like um so yeah i i i really liked some of his moments with uh uh with tilly and i i agree that he would he'd be a pretty cool boss mm-hmm his mentorship of Tilly, I think, specifically was one thing that uh, I think it's hard to to convey that someone is a good mentor on the screen. Mm-hmm. But I, I appreciate how this episode is able mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and I will take issue, though, about his decisiveness with two things, which is, number one, letting Zare go, uh, which mm-hmm. which we've discussed just a little bit earlier. But also his decision when the enemy vessel is like pulled them out of the ice and is hailing them. There's like that pause where they're like, they're hailing us. And then everyone just looks at each other for a few minutes. It's like, yeah. what are you going to do? Like, is there yeah, anything like, are, you else you're going to attract your people? Just get them yeah, are you, You're just going to start attacking these people that brought you out of the ice? Or like, what, <laughs> yeah, what, are, what are the serious options that you're considering? Well, and other, and hailing someone hailing you is actually not a violent act. That's the yeah, peaceful yeah. Like, act, that's, right? That's a normal you know? thing that they've been trying to do <laughs> to everybody. Like, that's like, here's the olive branch. <laughs> Hail them with torpedoes. Exactly. <laughs> send them, invite them to dinner. No. <laughs> send, them, uh, send them a message. I guess, I guess maybe hailing could be. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, there was, by the way, a Lord X reference on this, on this episode, if y'all caught it. Basically, said something about like lower decks getting crushed or damaged the lower decks something like that anyway i appreciated that uh so okay saru i think has has definitely come a long way i think one character who i am still waiting to see some growth from is tilly where you you do get and then there are some great moments right like tilly's tilly's nervousness and kind of uh issues with with being decisive sometimes can lead to some really fun dialogue but we still have kind of this person who's unsure of herself. And um, I I think it set us up for a really great, like, growth arc, which is, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like they've done, but it, I feel like they let Tilly grow and then they bring her back. And then I they mean. let her, and then they bring her back. Like, so they don't, and I don't know if it's because they like the vulnerability maybe or the mm-hmm. uncertainty that she brings to the that perspective i don't know but yeah yeah it, it kind of felt to me like that uh the shift from because i felt uh the shift from like season one to two it kind of seemed like one of the parts where she was taken back a, a bit and it almost felt like oh the writers think she's funnier when she's like stammering the whole time rather than like halfway through her command training with burnham or whatnot but um but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of potential, but I I don't know if they've decided to even give her a full growth arc or not. I don't I don't know. Well, and I so I loved when um she with you know when the what were there what aliens were they again? Not she said 
the ones in the bar area. Oh, the Cordonites. Yeah, Cordonites. When they had their weapons drawn on them, and you know, and so they're going through and trying to explain who they are until he's like, you know what? It's actually really scary. Like, this isn't, we're not here to do anything bad to you. And it's really scary that you're pointing guns at us. And I loved that. Like, I yeah, actually yeah. really liked that she said that. And literally, she exemplified what the whole reason Saru said he brought her with them mm-hmm. or with him was, I mean, she was literally disarming, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she just was so unapologetically honest about how she felt in that moment that they, they drew down their weapons, you know? And so I liked that. I thought that was kind of, that was just sweet. But I have to say, and this doesn't have anything to do with her character, and it has to do with Zara, who I hate. And so I don't know why they didn't just let Giorgio kill him. Even though I'm always like, I don't think, you know, I'm like anti-death penalty, but I watch television shows and I'm like, that person needs to die. <laughs> so, <you know? laughs> Clearly I have some things to work through. But, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, as a fat person, you know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna claim that not as a derogatory thing, just as a as reality. I love that Tilly is not skinny, mm-hmm. that she is a normal sized person, and they're not trying to like, you know, make her be something that she's not in order to get her to fit into a Starfleet uniform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a fat person who has had people interact with me in certain ways because of my weight, the way Zara said. You look like you can take care of yourself. And what he did with his hands in that moment, I was like, oh, screw you, a-hole. Anyway, I have a child nearby. So um, <laughs> but <laughs> so I was pissed. I turned to yeah. my husband. I said, that was totally commentary on her weight. Now, I don't know yeah. if it was meant that way, but that's how it felt to me when I yeah, saw that. Yeah. And I was just like, because I've had people do, you know, where they describe someone like, oh, so-and-so, and then so-and-so. <laughs> you know? And it's like, Mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah, so I, that made me mad because I felt like it was a, it was, no one has said anything to draw attention to that in the show. And I felt yeah, like it did yeah. draw attention to it in the show and it made me mad. Well, and, and I, I am glad that the show did not dig deeper into the whole, like, I feel like in scenes like that in, in popular TV shows and movies today, there's a lot of like threats of sexual violence and like, oh, I'll take you like, you know, and it's mm-hmm. this is really gross stuff that comes in. And I was glad that the episode did not go deep into that. I, it kind of started to with the parasitic. It can get into your throat. Like there were definitely things that I was like, oh, yes. oh, yeah. oh. for sure. There were, there were, there were, I, I think, and that's yeah. where my hackles got raised a little mm-hmm. bit, but I feel like this is, this is an example of a, of a writing thing that, you know, the first time it happened, it was probably provocative and like, kind of like, oh wow, this character went there and, and makes you think a little bit, but it's just become this like expected thing about when a young vulnerable woman on tv is uh captured by some bandit person yep. <laughs> uh but anyway so so again i i feel like like you know when i talked about the good the coordinates being the good guys the, there's some expectation bending which is nice um i i did find it hilarious that when saru tells tilly you your good first impression she bursts into tears immediately <laughs> like that's the, the very first thing that happens <laughs> um but uh, let's let's move on to talking about Stamets, who had an <laughs> unexpectedly large part in this episode. I did not expect Stamets to be, you know, initially when he got wheeled <laughs> away and put into a coma. I wasn't like, this is going to be a character I see a lot of. But hey, he's back. Hey, Kulmitz is a thing again. <laughs> that was great. I was so happy about that. I was like, oh, you guys aren't going to fight a bunch. Good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We needed not to have, like, something good needed to happen. Yeah. It's a great. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, Bill, Sam, it's on screen. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I like this episode a lot, but I thought this whole B-plot was just kind of boring and I didn't really understand the point. And yeah, I mean, the banter with Jet Reno was fun. <clears throat> and it's interesting that she... You know, it says something about Stamets, because if you guys remember back to the beginning of uh, season one, he was like that. He was super crotchety and mm -hmm. snarky with everyone and kind of cynical. And, and he's really grown since then. And Jet Reno is really like the same character. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but so much better. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but she, she, you know, is two seasons behind Stamets. So she's still crotchety and snarky. Well, and it's, it's like, like if 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 in uh, it's a it's a wonderful life. There was uh, who's who's the who's the dude in the end who like has stolen the money, old man. Oh, I, don't, I haven't seen it in so many years. The, the 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 villain of it's it's a wonderful life. Where where there's an SNL episode where they go and kill him in the end. <laughs> That's a great SNL sketch. Uh, <laughs> Let, let me, let me, let me, Mr. Potter, Mr. Potter, Mr. Potter. Yeah. Old man Potter. Uh, yeah. It's like you're watching It's a Wonderful Life and old man Potter gets an older manner Potterer who's like worse than he is. <laughs> like, that's Jet Reno to Stamets. Except she's better. She's so much better because yeah. I found, I found Stamets really off-putting in the beginning of Discovery. Oh, for sure. And he grew on me. I like him more now. Mm -hmm. But I never found Jet Reno off-putting. I always found her 1,000% awesome, so... <laughs> well, and yeah, I, I yeah. think what, what's interesting about her, so she has, yeah, she's super crotchety. And yes, she does uh, tell uh, Jean that she does not care about his name at all. But uh, so yeah. like maybe there's there's limits to her uh, approachability. <laughs> but uh, she like while being crotchety, she's still very like empathetic and understanding of like where people are, their feelings, how they're going through things, which yeah. I, I, I appreciate that kind of uh, juxtaposition in her character, which which I agree with Emily. I don't. I feel like Paul Stamets started out as just kind of an asshole who like was uh, crotchety about his like science project, but like didn't care about anybody else and was just frustrated. And he like he was not fun for me to watch in the first uh, handful of episodes. It's like once he went on his drug trip, like we we got a different Paul Stamets <laughs> coming out of that. Uh, I think that was like episode uh, maybe four or I five. Remember. I can't remember which one, but um, yeah. Since then, we've had, like, I've been into him. But it, it, it was kind of, the, that beginning was just, ugh. <laughs> I, honestly, this is, this is I think, something that we're going to keep coming back to with so many different characters, which is this, the showrunner issues at the beginning of this, the first two seasons of this series, have really left us with a lot of, like, discrepancies between the characters mm -hmm. who are now. Mm. And, and this will come, I, I think this is going to come up with Giorgio, too, where people are like, yeah, she's irredeemable. She ate Kelpians and mass murdered and genocided people. And I'm like, we're, yes, I agree with you, but it's really not the same character anymore. And we, yeah. we just can't, like, see her as that same character because she was, that was characters written by someone else. Mm -hmm. And to do something else and to achieve something else... And we, I don't know, maybe maybe they'll find a clever way to bring it back into this season. But I, I think to a certain extent, we have to let who these characters were in season one and season two kind go. of not, kind of let it go and just let not think about, go. right? There you let go. Let it go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> about, about Jet Reno specifically, though, you got to remember this is a character that 
kept her crewmates alive when she was the only person down there mm-hmm. by learning how to be a doctor from scratch. Like it, someone yeah. else could have easily let all those people die and like just mm-hmm. ha- held their head in their hands. And so she has a lot of stuff. And I saw some people like great on that whole hazmat thing that you referenced, Adam. But she has a heart. She she has this like sense of you know you know. And Emily, you talked about the empathy. It's there. And, and she, well, just, and she's she's totally self aware too. Right. Like whereas yes. Stamets does not seem to be self aware. So no, and Jet even rec- not now. Right. Jet recognized she wasn't going to climb up into that Jeff's, right. Jeffrey's tube. She knew what her limitations were, and she knew what Stamets's limitations were. And mm-hmm. I love that when she said. Um, helpless is a shitty feeling, but it's not forever and it doesn't make you less capable. I thought that was awesome. And good God, how many of us need to hear that? You know, like anyway, so I just, she's just yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, this was a great, uh, jet episode and I'm, I'm just super into it. And Bill, Two- final word on that. Like, I agree. I did not understand why Stamets ended up in that tube. It was very stupid and he should not have. It was like, it was, it was like, at multiple opportunities, someone could be like, no, you are not going up there. Okay, all right, cool. Well, let's send someone who has, like, all of well, their, Well, they like... even already kind of said, like, oh, Nilsson is going to go do it. But then they still put <laughs> him up there. <laughs> um, let's let's move on to talk about Culber, which there isn't a whole lot except, you know, the relationship being back on, which is great. I did, I did appreciate, though, seeing a Starfleet doctor with blood on their overall so it's not yeah. like we have a show display hospital like they have in north korea where we all stand around in impeccable outfits and nothing ever happens here because you know there's another hospital yeah. over there where all the blood is uh this is actual like a crisis and the doctors get their hands dirty and yeah. when that happens and maybe it, the reason yeah. they have white uniforms is because you can put you can use bleach on them and it's nice and so space you, don't, you don't have any color fading <laughs> yeah space bleach uh it doesn't harm the silver at all but just like gets rid of all the blood and it's great yeah it's programmable bleach symbiotic well that's bleach. that's 32nd century stuff they don't have access to that which is why uh, he he looked like that at this episode <laughs> but bill i talked a little bit about Giorgio, but uh where do you see her taking us yeah i i agree i think they are gonna redeem her and, and humanize her a bit they already have to a certain mm-hmm. extent you know and her even though she's still like doing it in a psychotic way her Mm -hmm. motivation in this episode is to make contact with burnham Mm -hmm. right but Mm -hmm. uh, i i just thought that the use of george o was very effective and probably the best so far in the series um because it really in this episode they really effectively illustrate how using her methods her kind of amoral whatever it takes methods is effective and an option, you know, I, so I couldn't, when they threw her into the saloon and then she beat up her, I couldn't help but think, well, like, what if Saru just did that from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And that, like, they could, right? But they don't because they, you know, have higher morals and, and an ethical code and whatever. So, but it really, I thought, it highlighted that contrast. Would I you thought she was her... a great foil for Saru. I loved the back and forth with her and Saru. And there, there really were a few moments where I was like, oh, is she going to cross that line? And it's going to be like a showdown with, you know, and I imagine that that tension will persist. Do y'all see her as a chaotic evil or chaotic neutral on the alignment chart? Now, assuming that this, she is chaotic, which 
Um, that, that's what I would. I, I think I would probably go more neutral with chaotic evil being um, uh, Lorca, uh, or maybe lawful evil. Uh, I suppose uh, because it, like it, at least the the end of Lorca that we saw in whatever episode that was where he like suddenly becomes a white supremacist and like <laughs> is uh, like talking about heiling Hitler and, and whatnot. Like, even though that they didn't really set that up earlier in the series, uh, like he kind of just went full tilt, uh, at the end there. But, he had to suppress it for yeah. so long, you know, he had yeah, to suppress it as the I guess. captain of discovery. So he just had to let it all out. He's yeah. like, oh, I've been suppressing this side of myself and I just need to let it all go. Yeah. Like, do you know how many funny aliens that I have had to look at all day? Like so, the, the, yeah, the extended just... shaving sequence where he was like, I've always wanted a toothbrush mustache was, was a little much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was a little too on the nose, but okay. <laughs> Under it actually. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> nice. Something you should nice. know is that in Giorgio, there was a, a glimpse of her in an admiral's outfit in the previews. So uh, just know that that's coming somewhere. I don't know what that oh. means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Commander Nan is still here. Who knew? Uh, she decided to knock on the Enterprise and was like, I got to stay on Discovery. And, and in this episode, she talks a little bit about like feeling duty-bound because of Arium's sacrifice mm-hmm. to to repay that. Uh, still seems a little bit of a strong thing to do for somebody who has a life, you know, um, as like, oh, this other person gave up their life, so I'm going to take their place. I, I, I don't know if I buy it, but still, like, eh, works. She's an interesting character. Her... Yeah. Um, Actress is in the uh, the the credits, and the name of this person, who I am frantically looking up on Google right now, is Rachel Ancheral or Ancheral. I don't know what the pronunciation exactly is. And we we had also just a few th- interesting things with some of the other characters on this episode. We talked about Jet Reno already. Kayla Detmer. I'm interested in hearing what your theories are. What's up with Detmer? Because she has her eyes open when everyone else's are closed. It's the same time we see those little particles bouncing up and down near Saru. So is Killa Detmer going to be a Borg now? Yeah, I yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll go back to my strange new take of like, please, no. <laughs> I, I, I mean, so she didn't get uh, three little things in her eye, uh, three red dots in her eyes. So maybe that's our confirmation that it's not control. Uh, but uh, yeah, I... I don't really know where we're, where they're going with it. Uh, I, I think that there's a possibility that we might be going in a PTSD direction since it wasn't detected by scans. Um, but although this also seems like, like PTSD is a real thing, it seems like, I don't know, I, I feel like 23rd century tech might be able to be like, hey, something's going on with you in a, that's not, that like isn't a normal thing that should be, ha- that we are know about in your profile and what, like you're having a different kind of reaction to what's happening right now than we expect and like maybe you shouldn't leave sick bay just yet like let's go talk well, to somebody first colbert even noticed it and he wasn't the person to examine her if you yeah. watch when she walks past him yeah. he's walking back into yeah, sick he bay, kind of... and he stops and looks at her he's like something's not like he noticed that something wasn't right with her i although i will say that there was another character who had their eyes open um uh, in that three scene. characters did yeah uh, i was gonna say yeah so okay. she wasn't the only one but the- I wasn't looking closely enough. But yeah. I watched, I rewound a couple of times this scene because she seems totally fine before the crash, right? Yeah. Like there's nothing 
odd about her. So I rewound and watched the crash scene like from inside the bridge. I watched that a couple times to see if there was something extra that happened to her or and the yeah. main thing I could see is she was thrown forward onto her console and then she kind of bounced up against a beam or something and flew over her console. So she had like a couple like she had yeah. a couple of different impacts rather than just one, but I don't know. Yeah, and I mean it's it, maybe her implant is unfamiliar in a way that like it it's it is messing up, but it's not uh her brain that's messing up. So mm-hmm. like maybe that is how it didn't show up in a scan, which seems a little bit weird. But uh, I I could see them going in a direction of like maybe she's gonna have to because she seems to have some sort of uh we know that she's had bad associations with with burnham and also some of maybe her her image of like how what has happened to her like she i don't think that she likes that she has this implant now and we had that kind of uh early on in discovery we had that uh conflict between burnham and detmer um and like i i wonder if maybe they're setting up that she's going to have to have her implant removed and get some 32nd century tech or something or maybe she gets a, a regrown eye i don't know but um yeah it's it, it seems like they're trying to do something it's a little too early to know what they yeah. are doing but we are all entirely agreed and i think the internet is with you here that no control. We don't Please want control. No. The thing that they came forward with was sphere data. Not control. Control is gone now. Yeah. We're all in control, okay? Just Although it was in that stasis, whatever. Oh, well, we, we turned on magnets and uh and Hazmat is taking care of it. It's there you go. he flushed it out into space where it definitely won't cling on to anything else and come up in season <clears throat> eight. Oh man. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, Linus has has a very high visual spectrum. I don't. I that was a very weird line from Giorgio. I didn't really understand. Maybe she's just trying to like get out of the walk and talk. By the way, West Wing in Star Trek. Yeah, yes, Giorgio was in the walk and talk with Nan that she needed to get out of. By I thought maybe he was going to show up as a sniper and like just shoot uh, our bad con uh, that we had in this episode. But there you, know, you go. That didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Midic, who played Nilsson, was there to say one line. Um, R.A. Bryce was back as well. He's the one with the rubindium, whatever thingy thing yeah. that uh, they're they're wondering. There's also the uh, the other dude who's on the bridge, whose name I'm not forgetting. It starts with a K. Do you know who I'm talking about? Well, there was oh, Reese. Reese, that's Reece, right. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Mm. Reese, yeah. Uh, yeah. Patrick Kwok Chun. That's I'm thinking about his last oh, name. Okay. Yep. Uh. He was he was around as well, but I think that's about all we can say um, about about characters. Michael Burnham's back at the end of the episode is kind of interesting. It's been eighty four years, you know, Titanic throwback right there uh, <laughs> with, with with her line. But it's been a year. Yeah, Emily, you said this moment changed things for you. Well, it was the whole. It was actually the. Um, it was that moment, but also what was leading up to it. Um, when they kind of subdued the guy who I wish they'd killed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. And then, Sorry. but then you could see this moment that it wasn't just Cal who had the, um, who had that hope. I felt like mm-hmm. those who were with him had that as well. They maybe just not as strongly. Okay. So yeah. I just kind of saw, I saw that there were alliances being forged. And um, so it, it seemed like a very similar ending to me to the previous episode. It was just, 
the crew of Discovery's experience of forming an alliance and finding out that there's, and they still don't know, they, you know, Michael in the first episode, she learned more about the time they were in than right. the crew of the Discovery did. Um, Cause they don't really know what the burn is. They don't know. Episode don't three. Know the federations. Get yeah. It explained to everybody. Yeah. There you go. There you go. But I just, um, I was, I, I was glad that it was not an enemy ship. You know, I need, I, I yeah. needed it to be something yeah. positive. So. Um, I, I will take issue with the whole like characters smiling at each other much more than they would in real life thing. But that's, you know, it's a sappy thing and it's good and everyone loved it. So I'm not going to be a, a uh, old man Potter about this. And um, I will say though, Adam, in reference to your showing and telling thing, this conceit of a year later is a great way to get over that because Burnham knows everything now. Yeah. You know, we're going to get that like montage where she learns stuff uh, probably and she's going to be like recording a log being like, today I learned about the Borg and also I look for Discovery. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to be over uh, at a certain point and we're not mm-hmm. going to have to like go through all of the events that we've seen on TV with her. Um, but I think at this point it is appropriate to point everybody in the direction of the pod directive, the official Star Trek podcast with, uh, Tony Newsom when the episode that she had Michelle heard on from Picard, because there was a short discussion about Michael Burnham's hair on there. Uh, just a quick reveal. None of us on this podcast are black women. So I'm not going to have us discuss that because I don't think it's appropriate and we don't have the experience. But you should listen to this podcast a little bit because there's been some speculation about like, oh, how how long her hair is or how different it is. And it, it, it is, there's some representation there that has been appreciated by people who live that identity and have said hair. Um, that I don't think the rest of us can appreciate until we hear them talking about it. So go go check out that episode, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, a great one. A couple of memorable moments that came to my mind. The crisis in the beginning, the crew really pulled it together. I was really impressed. There wasn't like a lot of like confusion. They were just like in the zones. Saru had a great speech to end that whole thing. It's fantastic. What y'all think about that whole Stamets is alone in sickbay moment with the audio off until like everything comes back as he's being woken up? I thought it was a cool, I was a little confused, but it was a cool effect of uh, sort of representing what maybe what it's like coming out of that. Because he like from his perspective, maybe seconds ago, he was everyone was getting uh, killed in this different disaster and whatnot. It's a disaster again, but I, I don't know. I, I liked it. Okay. We uh, all that furniture in the captain's ready room is all broke now. So oh, yeah. sorry, Lorca's yeah. stable. Um, <laughs> Oof. And did y'all notice the get dressed montage as they were getting ready to leave the ship? Saru and Talia like. Also, we had that you know strange trope where it's like the whole ship is just fine. It's this one thing that if you plug it back in, the whole yeah. ship just comes online immediately. So the- the second time we watched it, I we I did notice that they said that had to be done at several points in the ship. So it was okay. just that Stamets was the last one to be done. So that made it not quite as bad. But it was like, oh, really? Yeah. Like Stamets had the one. Yeah. It's like he comes out of the tube and it's like, actually, what you did didn't matter. We had everything else working. We yeah. could have just yanked you out. I think it was I, kind I was of a to moment. Turn it off. I think it was a moment of showing Stamets that, hey, this would have been done a lot faster if you had swallowed your pride and let someone more able body you'd get up there who <laughs> right. wasn't bleeding yeah. and like you yeah know, anyway. 
All right. Well, uh, we are we're getting a little long with this episode, so I don't know if there's any quick trivia notes that y'all have um, on this. Uh, anybody notice anything that y'all want to talk about briefly? Not really. I will. Nope, I'm good. Uh, I will give a shout out to the Cordonites, or I I've been pronouncing this wrong this whole time. It's Corridonite. Corridonite. Uh, and they are the uh, folks who. We're in Enterprise, and it's it's they they take the Captain Archer and I think T'Pol hostage when they're coming down onto this planet with a shuttle pod, and Shran and some Vulcans have to break them out, I believe. Oh. But they're in Enterprise a whole bunch, so uh, and there's some like small references to them in other places as well. So anyway. Moving along, strange new ratings. Who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating while I open the spreadsheet? I can go. <clears throat> uh, I like this one. I will give it 8 out of 10 freshly repaired EPS conduits. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I am going to give it a 4 out of 5. I liked this episode better than last week's episode. Um but I, I similarly liked the endings of both episodes. So, yay for hope. I You know, I, I'm going to echo your rating, uh, both of you, with an 8 out of 10 myself. I enjoyed this one more so than last week as well. And, I, I again, just real quick, it was they did the Western thing, but they managed to get past a few of my like expectations. It didn't feel like, oh, this is just like, I know exactly what's going to happen next, which was <laughs> great. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to uh, do a hard disagree with everybody else, and I'm going to do a 7.5 uh, <laughs> and say that... Uh, so I, I, I like this episode. It brought up some bad feelings about Control with all the little dancing bits of sand, so <laughs> I, I needed to knock it down because please no. Uh, but yeah, o- overall, uh, uh, handled much better than the previous episode, uh, and I, I hope that this is setting the tone for the rest of the season more so than the first one. Well, that hope is you, part two. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I don't know what that. I'm gonna keep saying that throughout this whole season. You know, that was it's too good. It's like, by the way, did I even think that it might be like a Mel Brooks reference to History of the World Part One? Any of y'all watch that movie? Oh, you and are missing no some. There's no part two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. There is no part two. At the end, they have like a trailer for part two, which is just ridiculous. And it's, but it's a it's a great movie, and you all should watch this classic Mel Brooks. Well, with that, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Adam, for being here today. Thank you, Dynamax and Rudy, wherever y'all are. I hope you're having a great time doing whatever it is you are doing. Thanks, Notch. Thanks, Notch. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks, again. Notch. Uh, thank you, listener, for being here. Don't forget to follow us. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate you did that. Thanks, Ishtu Guha, for writing our theme music. Uh, he has a podcast named Geek Fruit that you can reference if you so like. And a special thank you to that dancing sand near Saru's face for not being control. Don't be control. Otherwise, I'm taking this thank you away. Don't want that on your conscience, sand. Don't, okay? All right. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye. See you.